0: We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Frederic Chabot and Mike Reynolds. The phrase, Sex Positive, is often misunderstood as implying a particular kind of sexual appetite, enthusiasm, explicitness, or adventurousness. But as today's guests discuss, it actually means none of those things. Rather, it is about having a certain framework for thinking about sexuality. In contrast to sex-negative views that understand sexuality as inherently sinful, dirty, or shameful, sex-positivity sees it as normal and natural. It resists stigma or moral judgment based on whether people have a lot of sex or a little, on whether they love it or aren't interested in it at all, on the particular practices that they enjoy, or on the gender or number of their partners. Instead, it's about valuing the consent, well-being, and pleasure of everyone involved. And for today's guests, it is about challenging hierarchies of genders and sexualities, and building practices and cultures grounded in gender justice, sexual justice, and social justice. So while the idea of sex-positive parenting might to some people sound peculiar or even off-putting, it really just amounts to integrating that concern for well-being and justice into how we teach our kids about things to do with gender, relationships, and sexuality. Rather than the fabled pervasive avoidance of the topic interrupted by a single awkward conversation about where babies come from, it means having ongoing, age-appropriate conversations with our kids from the start about things like consent, safety, communication skills, gender identity, healthy relationship practices, and much more. It means letting kids know that sexuality is normal and natural, and that bodies are nothing to be ashamed of. It means recognizing that there is ample empirical evidence connecting sex-positive parenting and good sex education with positive mental, physical, and sexual health outcomes for kids. It means, again in age-appropriate ways, being honest about risks, but also being honest about pleasure. It means modeling and teaching consent with our kids from the time they're born, and talking about the realities of sexism and gender-based violence. It means finding ways to push back against media, peer, and social messaging that is hostile to queer and trans people. It means not only answering our kids' questions, but creating an environment where they feel able to ask in the first place, and also admitting when we don't know the answers, and learning together with them. Along the way, it means figuring out our own biases, values, and discomforts, and it means taking action to contribute more broadly to justice and well-being related to gender and sexuality. Mike Reynolds is a father of two girls who does a range of online writing, community-building, and media-making related to parenting, and to his journey with masculinity. Much of that work happens under the banner of Everyday Girl Dad, and he also hosts the So Manly, that's S-E-W, podcast. Frederique Chabot is a mother, also of two girls, and the Director of Health Promotion at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. Along with engaging in a wide range of other activities related to sexual health and rights both domestically and globally, Action Canada runs an annual sexual health promotion campaign called Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week. The campaign's theme for 2019 is Sexual Health at All Ages, and it is running from February 11th to 15th. I talk with Reynolds and Chabot about sex-positive parenting, about the resources being offered to parents as part of this year's SRH Week, and about the connection between sex-positive parenting and gender, sexual, and social justice.
1: I am Mike Reynolds, and I am a father of two and partner to one. I do a lot of online writing and sharing and talking about my parenting philosophy and about my own journey through masculinity. I do a lot of this through the Everyday Girl Dad handle which is my website and some of my social handles and also I've been working on a podcast as well, the So Manly Podcast where I also talk about masculinity, what it means to me, the impact of masculinity on different aspects of life.
2: I'm Fred I am a mom of two girls. I also work at Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. I'm the director of the Health Promotion Program. It's our program that oversees the running of our yearly campaign called Sexual and Reproductive Health Awareness Week. Every year we use the opportunity of that campaign to come up with a theme to prompt conversations with different audiences around issues of sexual health and sexual rights. This year, we have decided to talk about sexual health at all ages. We face different issues at different times in our lives, and we really encourage people to be really expansive in their definition of what sexual health is and what they should be talking about when they think about it.
1: My oldest is nine years old, and I've been writing about parenting kind of from a humorous perspective. My early writing was a lot about the practical how to keep children alive. Examples of parenting, over time, I shifted the way I was talking to parenting and fatherhood and what fatherhood meant to me so that I was telling my own story and projecting the changes that I saw in my own parenting over time, as opposed to talking about my kids' specific stories, knowing that those are their stories. I started identifying pieces that weren't getting talked about in the dad blogging area and then when fathers are writing about stuff. So I wanted to start writing about what consent meant to me as a parent, how dads can talk about menstruation and how dads can be part in a lot of these sexual health discussions and not that they can be, that they should be. So in families where they're is a dad involved, I think it's really important that they break through a lot of the stereotypes about fatherhood, meaning you don't get involved and talk about menstruation and you don't go bra shopping and you don't answer questions. You kind of put those off if there's a woman in the relationship to that person. And I think that part of it for me has been my own journey in learning about things along with my kids. What I try to do is make sure that they understand that no matter what questions they have, I'm there to help support them. And if I don't have answers, I'll investigate with them so that none of our relationship is built around shame of bodies or none of it is around bad questions. It's all curiosity in our family and just making sure that our kids feel supported to know that we're there to give them answers and to work with them.
2: And as for me, I started working in the sexual rights movement more than a decade ago when I simultaneously started participating in the sex worker rights advocacy movement as an organizer, as a researcher, as a writer, and as a spokesperson in some instances. And then at the same time, being hired to work in our local AIDS service organization as an outreach worker. And both of these experiences really drove home to me how we can't talk about health without talking about rights. And so I got really interested in human rights around sexuality, around reproduction. Eventually, I moved into my position at Action Canada, where I continued to do some of the work that I was doing before, but in the more expansive category of sexual and reproductive health and rights at large. At the office, I'm the person who writes a lot of the content, who does a lot of the research. In the middle of that, I got pregnant with my first daughter and became a mom seven years ago. Of course, that changes a life, so I put the same kind of energy I had for getting to know my issues at work and what I was passionate at work in terms of a feminist lens, a human rights lens, and just intense curiosity. I brought that all with me when I became a parent in terms of making sense of how I wanted to be as their parent, what I wanted for them, what was important for them, and even just knowing very well the issues in terms of reproductive and sexual health throughout life, like what gives a good start, and becoming really passionate about that.
0: What does sex negative and sex positive mean?
2: There's a lot of confusion around what sex positive means. What I hear the most is that people are maybe worried about what it means to say that we're sex positive when we're talking about parenting. Does it mean that we talk a lot about sex? Does it mean that we're inappropriate? Does it mean encouraging children or teenagers to have sex or exposing them to inappropriate materials or topics? It's really not about that. Even just going to larger definitions of sex negativity and sex positivity, I think there's a lot of confusion with sex positivity being mistaken for enthusiasm for sex, although we can be both sex positive and enthusiastic about sex, or being sexually adventurous, or even the belief that sex is always a good or positive thing. What it really is, is that sex positivity is considering sexuality as a natural, normal, and healthy part of being alive. And then when it comes to sexual acts or practices or experiences, really focusing more on the relevant concerns of consent, pleasure, and well-being of people engaged in it and people affected by it, placing no moral value on different sexualities or sex acts, challenging hierarchies of gender and sexualities. So it's kind of recasting the entire framework that we have around sexuality in contrast to sex negativity, which is the idea that sex is a harmful force, it's shameful, It's sinful. And even though we might not think that we think that way, (laughs) a lot of our culture is steeped in those kinds of attitudes around sex. And it informs a lot of our gut reactions around sexuality, the way we live in a hierarchy of gender and sexuality in our society where heterosexuality is at the top of the pyramid or we condemn people who enjoy sex or have multiple partners. Or anyways, we have a moralistic view of sexual expression. So making moral judgment about the kind of sex that people are having and in the process, creating a lot of fear, a lot of shame, and eliminating possibilities of sharing health information and even just basic information about people's bodies or even about healthy relationships. So sex positivity is to challenge that, It's to challenge that by, again, coming back to saying that actually sexuality is an important piece of being human and that we should embrace it as a positive force or at least as an important force, which means that we deserve to have all the information, all the education and all the support around this crucial aspect of who we are.
0: What does sex positive parenting look
1: like? So basically what I'm trying to do is apply almost exactly everything that was just said to the way that I parent. It is understanding how many biases you do hold as you become a parent. It's making sure that our kids have access to books that have same-sex relationships in it. In very practical and honest terms, it's answering questions right away when they have them. We don't have the idea of there being a sex talk. It's has ongoing discussions about what bodies are and what bodies do and so At nine and almost seven, we've had plenty of discussions about what sexual intercourse is if they ask. And then we have conversations about reproduction and we have conversations around what body parts are and making sure that people understand it's not our genitals that make up our gender. So it's finding ways to practically apply that information just through the stories that we talk about all the time. And in terms of things like consent, I mean, there are so many opportunities every day. So a youngest daughter doesn't like having her picture taken. And so when I say, can I take a picture? And she says, no, then that's an opportunity for me to say, okay, you've expressed that you're not interested in this. So that's fine. That's your decision. So we won't do that. And same thing with kisses. And you see it at holiday times with hugs from relatives and everything. So There are opportunities every single day to implement talks about consent and bodies and relationships with others. I mean, I came out last year as pansexual. And so it's been something that I've been working on trying to make sure that because I'm in a partnered relationship with a woman, just explaining what that kind of thing means practically. It's really for us, continual conversation as new things come into our life to make sure that we bring that into their lives as well.
2: I think the first item on the to-do list when you're considering sex-positive parenting as a practice is to do away with the concept of the talk, like having this awkward conversation with your kid when they're 13. So it's really integrating that notion that sexuality is a key piece of who we are. And so from the get-go, this is integrated in our family life as a topic that is fair game. And not only fair game for questions, because of course, they can't necessarily think of all the questions that could do for a really rich understanding of all the aspects of gender and sexuality. It's also being proactive, making sure that you have a lot of resources available. Even though it's my job, like I'm literally a sexual health expert, it doesn't mean that I have all the answers. It's not saying that it's easy. It's just a practice. It's not about having all the right answers at the tip of your tongue. It's more of an attitude that this is important. This matters. I want to make sure that my children have the most solid understanding of these fundamental pieces of themselves, their sexuality and their gender. So we talk about gender and sexuality in multiple ways. I get that question a lot, which is, well, you know, how too young is too young? And I want to respond immediately. Consent can be taught from birth. We can talk to our children when they're little about the hug that we give them. We can talk about their bodies and the agency that they have over it from the get-go. There's so many opportunities to bring that into our conversations and our practices every day. And it's the same thing for practical information about sexuality, too. It's all about scaffolding. Just think about all the important notions that we want to teach our children about. Hey, this is what a healthy relationship looks like. This is how you can nurture really good friendships. This is how you can nurture your communication skills. So it's really integrating that practice into everyday life and considering it to be a healthy topic to integrate into ongoing conversations.
0: What have each of you found to be the most challenging part of sex-positive parenting?
1: For me, I think that the thing that I found most challenging was something early on, which was just the basic admission that I don't have all of the answers that I wouldn't be able to give a perfect answer the second questions were asked. And I think it was frustrating for me too that my default was to stumble around questions and the instinct is so big to say, oh boy, I don't want to have this conversation right now. What can I do to get out of having this? The first time that I was asked about sex, it was this deep breath for me and saying, okay, my instinct here is to change the subject. But I know because my therapist tells me that the times when you you (laughs) want to run away from things is when it's probably best to address them. So I took a deep breath and me and my youngest daughter, who was four or five at the time, had, you know, a nice conversation and it wasn't awkward and it happened. And then she had the information she needed and that was it.
2: I think one of the times that was the most challenging to me were when questions started to appear about pleasure. In terms of talking to them about, you know, the physics of sex and how babies are made and talking about relationships, about diverse families or about consent, it was coming to me pretty easily and I could use a lot of my training to answer those questions. But then when questions started, Coming up about anything that would require that I talk about sexual pleasure, that is where I noticed some discomfort in myself and questioning how I could go about this in an age-appropriate way because there's so little examples of what it looks like to talk about sexual pleasure to young children. And even deciding if a question in itself is age-appropriate or not, well, if a kid thought to ask it, then it's age-appropriate to find a way to respond to it. It's just to find the way to do so in a way that is in line with their development. So anyways, pleasure was definitely a stumbling block for me. I had to really think through my own hangups around that. Like, Why was it so weird or embarrassing to me to let my kids know that it's fun to have sex, that it's pleasurable Mm -hmm. or it can be? Of course, it not always is for everyone or at every moment, but why was it such a hurdle for me to talk about? I think one big part of sex-positive parenting, too, is really taking stock of our values and our upbringing and how we've been shaped by our culture. This really put it right in my face that there's still a lot of work to do in terms of really embracing the positive aspects of sexuality as something that is not shameful or strange to talk about openly. And there are ways to talk about that with young
0: kids. What kinds of resources is this year's SRH Week campaign providing that might be useful to parents who want to be more sex positive in their parenting?
2: That was definitely one of the goals of this particular campaign to speak very practically about what parents can do to really take a good look at what nurtures good sexual health in our children and how we start to lay the foundation of interventions that over the years make a really big difference in terms of mental health, in terms of sexual health, in terms of wellness generally there was a real desire to distill the knowledge that we have into very practical tools for parents to use. The website campaign provides kind of a roadmap in terms of what should be considered by parents who are curious about this who care about wanting to ensure that they give their children everything they need for a healthy start. And so it goes from resources on taking stock of our own values to examine how we react to certain topics, how we're able to talk about them or not, and offering prompt questions to guide us through that reflection to really bring focus on why we might be uncomfortable with certain things, Then it also offers really plain language summary of some of the major studies that highlight the benefits of sex positive parenting. And so talking about why it's actually crucial that we talk about sexual pleasure. Same thing in terms of the impact of talking expansively about gender, gender expression, gender identity, and how not only is this life saving for gender creative kids, It actually is an enormously positive public health intervention with all kids, even those who are heterosexual or cisgender. The risks of suicide go down, wellness goes up, mental health outcomes go up, etc. So it's kind of explaining that in a way that is accessible. It also provides some basic definitions, terms that people might not be familiar with to even open up their vision around what we're even talking about here. Kind of going back to how Mike was talking about how it's not necessarily to have the right information at all times. It's kind of more of a shift in our practice, shift in our approach and how we can do that and what should be in our mind when we're trying to apply that in our own homes. Slowly learning as we go, like it's just introducing the practice in the way that we think and the way that we interact with our kids.
0: And Mike, as someone whose work often talks about questions related to masculinity, what connection do you see between that and the project of sex-positive parenting?
1: I think a big step is getting to the point where you are willing to understand that what you have learned growing up isn't all that there is. For me, a huge component of it is just getting people to feel comfortable to start discussing, you know, gender creative children and understanding the relationship between gender and sex and basically just saying you're allowed to learn. And it's something that for me has become really important to try and model myself the idea of simultaneously learning myself and being able to have these conversations with my daughter. There is so much fear from so many men to even say the word period or tampons or menstruation. And there's just such an expectation that they don't have to deal with this. And this kind of goes into the emotional labor that happens in a household as well, is that you try to model realistic parenting. I think this level of learning and discussion needs to be seen as the norm. So I'm not saying everyone has to perform their masculinity the same way I do. I just would love dads to open up more to being able to understand gender and orientation and to be able to say the word menstruation. There's so much that people are told to be afraid of or to feel shame around growing up. And I think that my thing with masculinity is that we need to be knocking down those biases. And I think the huge first step for me is identifying what they are because I do have them around sex and around orientation and around gender and around race. The biggest first step is saying, I do have biases. So even just saying and believing that one statement can really go a long way in helping you become a parent who is able to talk about many different topics differently versus saying, well, I was told this when I was 12, so now I'm going to bring this into my own parenting. That's what I've been trying to do with masculinity is saying, guys, we've been told that this stuff isn't important and it really is. And we really need to get more engaged in talking about consent and talking about menstruation and talking about what masculinity means to us individually as well. And so that's really how I've been tying my own discussions on masculinity into sexual and reproductive health is just getting to the point where we can have conversations that aren't built around shame, but around helping our kids.
2: What's happening in those conversations among adults is that people are given a framework through which they can understand their experiences, and that's key to resiliency. And this is also what we need to offer to our kids. Offering a framework for kids through which they can kind of filter their experiences and depersonalize them is key to building resiliency. So, understanding masculinity and gender norms. Understanding how we've created these rigid boxes around what is expected of you, if you're a boy, if you're a girl, or even the fact that gender is simply thought of as a binary with rigid ways to be, to explain that to kids and give them the tools to understand why, well, you know, this is why you're discouraged to express your emotions, or this is why you are thought of as someone who would not be good at science, and that's unfair, and let's talk about it is actually giving them the possibility to see themselves not as lacking, not shamed by something that they're experiencing, but connecting it to larger system of injustice. And that is a really sound approach to have healthy kids.
0: It seems evident from what you've both said so far that you see a connection between sex-positive parenting and broader efforts to create cultures of gender, sexual, and social justice but maybe draw that connection together a bit more clearly for listeners.
2: To me, I see the channels between what happens in my home and the larger fight for justice as extremely connected, even in a smaller action of taking an inventory of the representation that exists in my house in terms of books, in terms of materials showing diverse families or talking about gender in expensive ways. It's also taking stock of the fact that in schools, the sex ed that is being taught when it is being taught is centered on the health needs of heterosexual youth, white, heterosexual, cisgender youth. And so this means that some people are getting the health information they need to make and act on health decisions. So we're sending a strong message about whose health matters and who's being given tools to stay healthy and to be healthy and thrive. And so when you start to notice that in your own home and make an effort to do that, you also start to apply that lens to what's in the outside world. Having that lens and using it to direct our parenting at least opened my eyes in terms of how that is not replicated and what are the consequences when that is not replicated in larger society. And so it's joining other parents, other movements to truly ensure that representation is diversified. People have access to healthcare that is positive and affirming. People have access to sex ed that actually speaks to every young person in the classroom, not just a segment of them. It's talking about starting to look at what is available to queer youth in terms of their relationships, in terms of nurturing their own bonds, in terms of building their self-esteem as seeing themselves represented. So it's extremely connected. I think the lens and the tools that we develop in bringing that kind of practice into our home can only make us very aware that this is a collective fight. This is something that we need to do together because even in a very selfish way, you know, I I may teach consent to my daughters till the cows come home, but if the culture is still one of rape culture that, you know, trivialize sexual violence, that doesn't teach Any skills to young people around upholding consent or asking for consent, well then, you know, my impact on my children's safety is pretty minimal. So this is definitely very connected to me.
0: You have been listening to my interview with Mike Reynolds of Everyday Girl Dad and Frederique Chabot of Action Canada for Sexual Health and Rights. To learn more about Reynolds' work, go to everydaygirldad.com. To learn more about Action Canada, go to actioncanadashr.org. And to learn more about this year's SRH Week, Sexual Health at All Ages, go to srhweek.ca. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show.